Welcome to episode 41 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with Psychomer trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to psychomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by the generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This episode is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military cultural content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. On today's episode, we'll be featuring a conversation with Chris Spencer, a director of operations at Oracle Corporation. Chris's current role is helping to lead the global onboarding effort within Oracle. He also leads the planning team for a campus hiring program for the U.S.-based sales organizations. However, his passion lies in co-leading the Oracle Veteran Employee Resource Group, MAVEN, the military-affiliated veteran employee network, where he can wrap his skills, day job, and purpose into one intended outcome. Find out more about Chris by checking out his bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. So looking at your background, we joined the Army uh, about the same time in 1992. Your path was different than mine as you got out and started at Oracle in, in the mid-90s. It's an interesting time to make a transition. The Gulf War was over. Much of the military was doing peacekeeping operations right up until 9-11. What was it like for you getting out of the Army and starting in, in the beginning of your career at one of the oldest tech companies in Silicon Valley? Yeah, no, it's and you're right. It was that era is very different, and it's funny because when I went when I got into the army, the first thing I was doing when I got there was everybody was coming back from Saudi, and so one of my jobs was cleaning the sand out of all the vehicles so we can get to the stuff we needed to do. So that's the fun part, but that is indicative of peacetime stuff. So when I got when I had gotten out of the army, it was because there wasn't a lot to do. Some of us will join for specific reasons that are relative to college learning and, and jobs. And, and we'll look for things that give us a career outside. I had gotten out on the position of trying to reenlist and have the ability to go do some fun stuff. And that wasn't going to be possible. So I got out on a 90 day drop to go back to school because I figured I, I had made my five. I'd achieved most of what I was going to be able to achieve under the circumstances. And I think that was just the the icing on the cake for me to realize that maybe I should make a different choice. Young family starting out. And so when I had gotten out, it was December 22nd, 95, right before Christmas. So it was a great time to be home, finishing the decision after the holidays, went straight to work to figure out what I'm doing. Where I'm from in Northern California, Oracle's former headquarters, it's now in Austin, Texas, but it was right here in Redwood Shores, California. I had grown up here, ridden my dirt bike on the field that after the amusement park that was there had left, we were just doing dirt bike riding a BMX and stuff. And they'd built these tall glass buildings that was the attraction. So three weeks after I'd gotten out, I had gone to the temp agency focused on just trying to make money, put food on the table, take care of the family. That was the priority in my life stage right then. Worked hard at it. Had to take a typing test. Didn't do well. So I asked my mom to help. Hey, mom, I need to learn Excel and how to type. So she helped me do that. I failed it again and then, and then did a little bit more work and got in. I was determined. And I think that was the one thing that I, I had learned is you want something, go get it and get after it. You fail, you keep going. 
And I think that was what was at stake is if I didn't do that, I didn't know what I was going to do because I was home. I was in the place that I was born and raised. So there's a certain level of comfort there, but I still wanted to work in that building. And so I, I did whatever I could to get in there. And, and I just started out as a contractor. So my mindset was just get to there, worry about what happens next. Now, that's interesting in that I just need to put food on the table, right? And that's one of the things the military does for us is take care of a lot of that stuff. When the paychecks stop coming, a lot of veterans will take the first thing, whether it's what they want to do or what they, they didn't want to do. It didn't sound like you were thinking about, I'm going to ride this wave into the 21st century, right? That wasn't where your mind was at. It was just simply, here's a goal. Here's the 50 meter target and I'm going to achieve it. Yeah, 100%, man. I didn't know what Oracle was. I knew they had some fabulous buildings there that was shiny glass. The story is is that I enjoy telling because it's funny. And if and if you're old like me, if you remember Wall Street, the movie, with Michael Douglas, mm-hmm. three-piece suits with the vest and the briefcase, that was the deal back then. And it was the, the tall buildings and the whole corner office kind of thing. And that's what I saw when I looked at that building. That was my measurement of success at that point. And that was it. And it was very superficial, but it was just the idea of getting into that. In my mind, I'll have achieved something good enough to be able to satisfy what would be the expectation what I believe to be the expectation of my family, my my small circle back then. That's all I was thinking about. But I think that's even typical of service members getting out today, right? You know, I don't know what I'm going to get into, but I got a vision and my vision is probably not the correct one, yeah. but the drive that the military placed in me is going to get me there. Yeah, that's a good one. I didn't have that vision. I think that's probably where in hindsight, I can explain it. It simply is, is ego and pride. I was just focused on myself, man. I was just trying to see what I can be successful at. I had the family in mind. I had the focus in mind and I had these things that I wanted to achieve, but I I was only looking at what I would feel after hitting that mark. And that was it. I didn't think about what was on the other side of the glass, what was on the other side of that job. I was typing that. If you think about that, right now you take it for granted. It's like typing. You do that in your sleep. But that was a skill that I had to acquire in order to get to that. And it's so fundamentally mundane at this point, but that just gives an indication of how short my vision was, but it wasn't after that, that I think what I had learned in the service and understanding strategy, critical thinking, taking care of things in a different light, more outward thinking is it's things that happened after that kind of flipped the switch for me. And I think that part of your journey, I mean, you're absolutely right. I was in Germany in the mid nineties, about the same time when you got out and there were two computers, one in the motor pool and one up in the company operations. Like (laughs) nobody had a computer. It was, I don't even think I accessed the internet until 99 or something like that. And so at that time, and the military is much more a high tech occupation now, but at that time it wasn't primitive, but it was still very hands-on. And so leaving that very hands-on and then getting into the tech industry and again, really getting into Oracle, at what point do you think you really saw? that this isn't just a temp job, this isn't just a contracting job, um, but I can actually have a career at this really storied uh, organization. Yeah. So there's a couple of things with that. I didn't know anything about technology. My mom had brought computers into the house and they were super expensive. And she had a, a little shop that she would go find these things and she would play the games. And that was my introduction to it. And I, I really wasn't into it. I was outside working on my car and doing that kind of thing. And Coming into a place like Oracle back then, probably one of the beginning of the the storied experiences that became what Oracle is the foundation of or what it is today. It was mysterious, right? It was black and red, and it was there. There were things going on. So when I was inside working on projects using technology, I became so overwhelmed with the capabilities of what was happening. And of course, Oracle was developing a lot of its own product inside, and, and we'd be using some of those things. And it was probably one of those things that distracted me well enough to understand 
if you like working with your hands, which is what I was doing when I went in and what I was doing before I went in, it was now being able to combine and connect. Working with your hands is similar to working with your mind. You were so fascinated with what was going on and curious that you didn't think about those other things. And that was probably where I started to understand how to build the relationships with others because they had knowledge of things that I was tinkering with. And I was like, I didn't have a place to go to find anything. This person had some information and I wanted to learn it. So I connected with that person and that got me a little bit further and I connected with somebody else. The first two years there, I got hired at some point after six months to do this stuff. But the first two years, I probably switched careers three times. I was working on a spreadsheet. So it's desktop software understanding that. And then I was curious about the operating system. So then I started to look at the the Windows platform. And then I was working with the laptop and I had met a desktop engineer there and he was showing me how to replace components. And then I started to geek out on that stuff. And then there wasn't a need for that. So I learned HTML to now maintain some web pages for one of the groups in there. And I think that now started to introduce me to strategy, to company business models to information flow on how to now generate leads, how to retain information for being referenceable for sales and things like that. So it started to open my eyes to the much broader scope of what technology is really about. You know, I think that's a really interesting path in that, again, you had a vision as as misguided as it might have been and a need, I'm going to get the, the bills paid and you could have stayed there, but then you were in an organization that was complex and, and multifaceted enough to really help you carve your own path. And I'm sure that many companies are like this. There are a lot of opportunities for veterans when it comes to the tech space in a wide range of roles. You just listed some of them, not just coding and cybersecurity, but sales and content development opportunities. Some service members and military spouses, though, think that getting into the tech industry is beyond them, that it, it may be sort of out of reach. Yes. Still dealing with that today. And that was a great example of dealing with it back then. I didn't know what technology was, but I knew it was foreign to me. And so when I got in there, it's about people. Essentially, if you think about it, you go into the service and you're doing something support. I don't care what MOS you're in or what branch you're in, you're supporting somebody or something. When I got in and I was no longer distracted, I was also now comfortable and, and secure with, I'm good. I have found it. Like I said, I got distracted with all of the, the tinkering with things. And then it dawned on me that I'm supporting somebody. I'm, I'm allowing myself to be curious enough to take what I had learned, apply it into something new, be okay at it, knowing that I still need to learn at it. But what I'm doing now is affecting somebody else's ability to get their food on the table for their family. And so it just translated with my military skill, my own personal values and curiosity, integrated the two of them, became no longer distracted or concerned about, am I going to be able to take care of my needs? That's done for now. And I just kind of gradually still kept being curious about how I can continue on supporting others and what they're doing in the pursuit of their career choices and their job responsibilities. That became my journey. That reconnected me with my purpose. From there, it just took off, man. And, and it seems like that had to take a certain amount of cognitive flexibility, right? I mean, yeah. if we're locked into, if I was in logistics, right, for yeah. 22 years, if an infantryman says, I'm not going to be anything other than security or law enforcement or something like that. If, if people are locked into, if I was a cook, I must be in the culinary field. If I was finance, I, I must be in the financial industry. Then your path required more flexibility for you to say, what other opportunities are out there? I'll take what I learned in the military, but I'm apply it to a totally different venue. 
hundred percent. That's very, in, it's inward thinking. So I went in as a mechanic. I was mechanically inclined. I went in as a 6'3 Golf in the army. So I was in third shop, fuel and electrical. I was working on starters, alternators, heaters for track vehicles and things like that. Got out. I'm not doing that. I didn't want to do that. I thought when I went in, I wanted to establish a skill and come out and I'll be a mechanic. And that's the field. When I got out, I wasn't wanting to do that anymore. So my, the evolution of my life stage had me wanting to focus on something else. And so I, I didn't even, I just applied the theory of what it is on what you do when you're a mechanic is you want to work with your hands and be creative and figure things out. That's, I think the distinction between any MOS that you have, just realize that it's not what you're doing. It defines what you're going to do. It defines you to understand what you're capable of doing. So you can take that and just apply it almost anywhere because what people are looking for is the capability of potential. Are you capable of learning this? And are you interested in doing this? Because that translates into the commitment and and dedication of of completing, finishing the commitment and and responsibilities that go with it. I actually gotten laid off. I think that's the missing component that maybe fill in the blank. It's probably within that two years that I, 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 I realized what business was. They didn't account for me. I was laid off, but I kept my relationship with the person that hired me. 30 days, I was back. I was fighting to come back in. And I think that is the combination of the lessons learned is to say, I'm going to be persistent on what I want to do. I still want to be here. How do I, you know, I crammed to learn and then I got back in. I learned what the relationship part was, connected the dots. My passion, my purpose, my resiliency, I didn't call it back then. That back then I was just probably, what do you say? Desperate was probably a good word. <laughs> Got me back in the game. Doesn't take long for me to figure out that I, I can fail as many times as I have to get the point, but sometimes I, I don't have to fail more than twice. I think that's a really good insight for veterans who may be considering getting into tech. They they think it's beyond them because they don't have the skill. They think yeah. skill is required. But what you just said there, it was aptitude and determination. We got all kinds of aptitude and determination. The infantry of today is more technologically inclined than you and I were back in 93. They just have computers on their hips. But it's veterans don't realize that their aptitude and determination can help them succeed in the tech industry. The skill will come. Here's the thing. You're 100% right. And that's the hardest message I've found to be able to to articulate because it's you got to convince people of their own demon. It's not the case. First thing is to realize that what companies do you know and why do you know them? That's that whole part of the psychological assumption that we make, what's in our head and how we talk ourselves into believing things and the perception that's created after that. And all of a sudden, if we're left unattended, that all of a sudden in our mind becomes a fact. And the reality is it's not. It's just a place to work, but there's people in there that do all kinds of things. And if you get that exposure, you can immediately assess that situation to understand that better. It's just trying to get people to see it. Because it is true. If you see it, you believe it. You still have to fight with it a little bit. But the reality is, it's the hardest thing as a hiring manager right now to help others understand is because they're thinking one thing and I'm trying to explain to them, what I'm looking for as a hiring manager is your ability to understand what's needed and fight yourself to know that it's not what you think. Let it go. And let's talk about it. Once you do that, then we can talk about the fact that, can you solve problems? Yes. Can you understand when you look at something that you can have an unbiased perspective on what is actually happening? Yes, because that's assessment, situational awareness, right? You're understanding the components of how you're seeing and hearing and observing, and you're able to make a relationship with an action. That's basically the same thing. The things, the hard skills that come from that, you already developed, especially in this day and age, right? I can go to YouTube. I got to change your garbage disposal. What are you going to do? You can go to YouTube. You're going to read it. You're going to do whatever and you're going to figure it out. Same thing. It's a hard skill. Figure out how to work on 
things. Same concept. You want to learn how to sell? Go to 12 weeks. There's a great organization that we talk about, Sales Platoon. 12 weeks, they'll get you acclimated to understand the fundamentals. And then you're going to realize whether or not that's something you want to continue to do. That passion and that purpose is going to drive you to be the best at it, 100%. Or the Army can send you to be a recruiter between 2003 <laughs> and 05. And then you realize sales psychology, you enjoy sales, not so much. I, I sense that you were a recruiter for a minute. I, I was a recruiter outside uh -huh. of military installation. We kept an honest man honest. It's, so you're the chair of the military affiliated employee resource group at Oracle. It's called the Military and Veteran Employee Network. I love the acronym, by the way, MAVEN. You can always count on a group of vets to come up with a, a pretty snazzy acronym. But why do you think it's important for organizations to have employee resource groups or affinity groups for the military affiliated population? Yeah, this is a great conversation. I will note, and it's because of PsychArmor we did this, it's Military Affiliated Veteran Employee Network. So it's a name change. We took the and, and we were sitting in a conversation with Jenna and the team, and more than once it was mentioned military affiliated community. And it's like some of us, like we looked at each other, we'll change the and we'll go to affiliated that embraces all of it. And mm -hmm. that's the thing is because yep. it's not just the veteran, it's the spouse, it's the parent, it's the children, it's the civilians, it's the whole group and the community that put together the purpose of what we're trying to do. And what that means is it translates into the answer to your question. Why? All of those people are why. The beginning of this conversation is the why. That's why it's important. There, You can't, there isn't any one entity to do it by themselves. And so I don't care how big or small your organization is, as you're building a group of people focused on trying to help others, eventually you're going to need to scale. And you're going to now have to have, this is management 101, you're going to need to build a team. Having an employee resource group within a diversity inclusion organization under the company umbrella, you need to build a team and you need to now have specialization. All of the organizations that are DNI and all of the employee resource groups that cover specific demographics, the importance comes with being able to scale, help them deliver on helping people. And ours, ours wasn't formally stood up until November 11th, 2015. There were veterans that were around. There were spouses, military spouses that were around, but there wasn't an organized structure that brought everybody together. And so you, you didn't know anything. Like when I got out, there wasn't that, right? I didn't, I was a knucklehead. I didn't have anybody pull me aside and say, hey man, I know where you're coming from. Here's what you might want to consider doing differently. Otherwise, you're going to have a hard time trying to figure out how to network and how to socialize. Probably led to being laid off. It's just, they were looking at me differently and things like that. So it was an easy decision. That's a reason why you'd need an employee resource group. Bring people in. One is to attract. It's what are you doing for veteran community? So there's that. The company now has an arm that's extending the support to the community to attract that talent. Once the talent comes in and is considering to, to work in that organization, a significant number of people that want to, hey, our brotherhood and our sisterhood is to come in and let me talk to them. Here's, I was a Navy. I was in the Air Force. I was Army. I was Coast Guard. I was a Marine. Here's my job. I was in that position. I transitioned and I've started here. So I can tell the story. I can help you understand how to think right now because we can find all of the compatibilities that will be more relatable between anybody. Rank doesn't matter. That's necessary. It's the ability to have that barrier broken down immediately to have more of an impact out of the gate to where now people can move through their choices right? Because they'll get, we'll all get stuck. We still get stuck. I can consider what it was like for you 
for the first 20 years uh, you were at Oracle, it, maybe you knew a couple of veterans, maybe you had a secret handshake or something, but it was all about like relation. Like you probably didn't realize how many veterans were in the organization until somebody started asking that question and causes more isolation, I think makes you feel a little bit more alone when you're around a bunch of people that don't think like you. Yeah. That, and that's, there's layers to that, but you're right. There could be interference that is not even related to the status of being a veteran. There's other things that I'm probably overwhelmed with on my performance as a human, as a father, as a son, you know, those things of what's preventing me from being confident, things like that. When you are interacting, when you do find that there are other veterans in the building and things, you know, there's still even that interference that you might have to deal with internally. There's going to be at some point a breakthrough of understanding that I want to talk to other people. I want to talk to other veterans. And I'm learning this. And I think that's the thing is the other value of having an employee resource group is self-growth. It's getting past your own stuff. The things that I was thinking about were more geared towards, do they even want to talk to me? When I got out, I was bitter. I wanted to stay in, but it didn't work out. And so I was 25. And that, that's the whole, when everything starts to stabilize for the male, right? And now you start to know that there's a purpose and a reason why you're doing things and like that. Everything's shaping and hardening, but I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do. So I was more inward facing than outward. And so I think there, there's a whole conflict that has to go through when you even still have a group, do they even want to talk to you? Why? And this is one of our top two things that we're still contending with now is disclosure. How do we know when veterans are coming in? And there's a reason for that. And some of it, some of the veteran community, they don't, they want to, they don't want to let everybody know that they're a veteran. You have to be skilled in doing that. No, I, I get that. And for a number of different reasons, whether right. they left the military with a bad taste in their mouth, or it just didn't work out the way they wanted it to, or for a lot of service members, there, there might be a little bit of shame at, at what they experienced, or, or they may believe these more of these mental blocks you're talking about. Yeah. They believe veterans believe they know what civilians know about them. And so I'm just going to, I'm not going to talk about as people think I'm going to be like Chris Kyle or, or something like that. I, I can see a lot of those challenges. And then a lot of those barriers can be broken down. Essentially, what you're talking about is mentorship. The military is built, built on mentorship. That's what we right. do. And in employee resource groups, the and not necessarily older, but those more experienced in the organization can come in and express that mentorship, that, that development, the same way that we did when we were in the military. Yes, 100%. And that's the, the, it's cyclic, right? So what we're doing now is we're trying to provide different things. We're offering different things. So it's all volunteer, right? So this is not what we're getting paid to do, but it's what we love doing. And we try to offer things that are more tailored toward when you find something that you want to participate in or contribute to, you'll have choices. So we have general activities, social activities, we have meetups, and this is all virtual now, but it's, we get on there and we just have coffee and conversations just to meet people. And then we have little educational opportunities where we'll bring people in and talk about, like we just had your personal brand the other day. And it's talking about topics of things that might generate some interest for some people sometimes. We have more in-depth type of events to where guest speakers of a significant background and talking about topics. And it's and some of them are related to the military and some of them aren't. It's more developmental. It's more educational. It just depends on what it is because it may not be something that everybody's looking at military all the time. Some of us are like, yeah, we, we want that, but not maybe something mix it up a little bit. So trying to find the purpose that people will come out and enjoy is it's a challenge. But I think that's just having high expectations on performance anyway. We're just, we want everybody 100% of the time. And sometimes you just got to realize that it's not going to happen that way. What you're doing is you're offering 
choices for people when they're ready to show up and help out, they will. Now, you get into days and events and activities like Veterans Day, Memorial Day. We look at the top five of the things that we'll do is Memorial Day, 4th of July, 9-11, Veterans Day, Reese Across America for the holidays. You, know, you sprinkle those in between those. You have food drives, these the toys for tots, all of these components. There are other activities that we know people want to contribute to. That's the factor that weighs in is when you have an ERG, you got to think differently and you have to get past what your expectations would be can't take it personal if not everybody's showing up 100% of the time, 100% of the time people will show up. You know, I think that's a, a really great illustration. It's great to hear that Oracle, again, as long as it's been around and the the size of the company, the really just the value of Oracle itself is focusing on military and veterans and their families. So it's great to hear that. If people wanted to find out more about Maven, military-affiliated veteran employee network. If they want to find out more about that, how can they do that? Yeah. If anybody that's wanting to know more about our, our military affiliated veteran employee network, Maven, contact me directly. I'd, I'd love to connect with anybody that wants to talk about it. I'd love to connect anybody inside the company to talk more about it. There's a lot of activities that we're planning for the, for the rest of this year, but there's a lot of other opportunities that I, I would love to be able to connect the right people for the right reason on anybody that has questions on what it's like to work in technology. And it's not just something that you're going to code develop. Uh, think if one more person says that, yeah, I was told through TAP that project management is the way to go. Talk to me, please. It, it probably can be something, but it's not the end all be all, right? There are layers to everything that you're hearing. And, and, and that's what Maven can help with is we can provide resources to anybody that's curious. Even after you've contacted the recruiting teams, if you're looking for a job or things like that or a career, hit me up. Absolutely. Well, I'll make sure that uh, a link to your uh, LinkedIn profile and any other contact information is in the show notes. Thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, you bet. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks to PsychArmor for everything that the team's doing. And this is something that we're depending on and we're incorporating in a lot of things that we're doing. So we're very grateful to have a partnership and a relationship like we do. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. One of the points that I would like to pull out is a comment that Chris made about why people join the military. It's an interesting topic for me and one that I always ask my therapy clients. As he said, people joined for all sorts of reasons, and the reason they think they joined may not actually have been the real reason they joined. A 2013 research article highlighted a study that showed that individuals generally join the military for one of four reasons. Institutional, a desire to serve, patriotism, a desire for adventure or a challenge, or their family was involved in the military. Another reason is future-oriented, a desire for a military career or money for college. Some joined for an occupational reason, a desire to support a family, that it might be the best available option or learn a skill or a trade. And it might be pecuniary, something that's purely financial, repayment of college loans or bonuses. Chris's journey was one that he may have been looking for an occupation, but he was actually looking for a challenge as well. After my discussion with him, I was considering what caused him to leave the military and join Oracle and why I stayed in. And it turns out that I was feeling the same thing at the same time that he was considering getting out, and I was looking for excitement, adventure, and really wild things, which is why I re-enlisted to jump out of airplanes and spent three years in the 82nd Airborne Division. By that time, the Army had its hooks in me, 
but Chris didn't have that opportunity. It worked out well for him, though, spending 25 years in one of the leading tech companies in the world. But when engaging service members and veterans, it's always interesting to understand the serendipity of the decisions that they make when joining the military, why they choose to do what they did in the military, and what decisions are made while they're in that impact their life path. The other point that I would like to make is the need for service members and veterans to have intellectual curiosity and cognitive flexibility when considering a post-military career. I've talked about this on other shows, most recently with Jonathan Crandall in episode 40, but many service members discount unfamiliar career fields and occupations because it's different from what they did in the military. Chris was a mechanic in the Army, and he started to work in the tech industry. While there may not have been a direct connection there, once he was in it, he found that he could apply his creativity and ability to a spreadsheet the same way he did when he applied them to an engine. Chris highlighted it in the interview. Many of us think we're being hired for a skill when Oracle, for example, is looking for aptitude. Skill can be taught if someone has the aptitude to learn new skills and apply what they know to a unique situation. If someone has a particular skill but does not have the aptitude to learn new skills, then they're not a good fit because things are constantly changing and adaptability requires lifelong learning. As Chris said, he had a handful of jobs within the first couple of years he was at Oracle, and it was a unique situation where his curiosity and intellectual flexibility met the opportunity to learn new skills. He was able to take advantage of that convergence, and many veterans are able to do so as well. I highly recommend that you reach out to Chris to talk about opportunities at Oracle or about his journey in general. His LinkedIn profile is in the show notes. For this week's PsychArmor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the PsychArmor course, Building a Veteran Employee Resource Group. Do you want to increase veteran retention or recruitment within your organization? Are you looking to bolster your company's community outreach programs and build a military-friendly culture? Employee resource groups may be the key to achieving these goals. This course discusses the steps to successfully build an employee resource group and the benefit these groups provide the employee, employer, and your organization on a broader scale. You can access the course by following the link in the show notes. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at psycharmor.org forward slash btm41, as well as on the PsychArmor website. You will find the link to everything we talked about in today's show, as well as hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. Thank you for joining me on this episode and for continuing to join us on this journey. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation, and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.